Tongues is, as I said, something which can be very controversial uh, in, in Scripture. And I don't want to go into the controversy this evening, but whenever I read of tongues in the Scripture, it makes me think of language, of different languages, and I believe that's the way that it should be interpreted in most cases. And as I thought of the different languages throughout the Scripture, there are a few different times in the Bible where language is specifically mentioned or a part of the message of the Scripture. And so I want to share a few different thoughts about tongues as we see them in Scripture, as language as we see it in Scripture. And the first thing that um, I would, uh, I suppose, be academic sometimes in, in my preaching style, and so I don't want to go too deep into this, but one of the first things that will come to my mind when I think of, of language and tongues is whenever God created the world. And it's a very interesting thing to, to, to muse over what, what exactly might the first language have been. And I don't, as I say, want to, to go into that. But I do want to tell you that if you turn to Genesis chapter 1, and you look at that final verse in Genesis chapter 1, the Lord says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so even though we will have no idea on what language Adam and Eve would have spoke as they communicated with even God himself in the garden. We do know that it was a language which God seen as very good. It was a language which was fit for communicating with God himself. And as I think of that, I think of how many who are unsure about God and unsure about uh, Christianity. I think of how many people will immediately come firstly with the question, why does God allow sin and suffering in the world? And as I, I look back at the perfection of Christ, uh, the perfection of creation and what God created, as we think of uh, how the Garden of Eden was set up and we had Adam and Eve and we had the idea of, of how they would have spoken to each other and how they would have communicated with each other. And it would have been, I, I would dare say, it would, it would have been without confusion to each other. Uh, and we think, especially in our, our marriages today, we think especially in our, our lives, as we go about our daily doings and our daily business, how much confusion there can be. How much, how difficult it is sometimes, and I suppose I'm also thinking it's standing up here, so how difficult sometimes it is to portray what you're trying to say. How difficult it is to get across what you mean. But God did not create us in a way which was with confusion. He didn't create us in a way which was full of, of, of miscommunication and misunderstanding between people. He created us as a family of God and his intention was for Adam and Eve to live in harmony in the Garden of Eden together. And so when we think of what God created, we must wonder where it all went wrong. We must wonder how today there is so much difficulty with our language. James, in James chapter 3 and the verse 6, turn and read, read this. 
couple of verses. James chapter 3 and the verse 6. He reminds us that the tongue, um, verse 5, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on the fire of hell. And when we go back to Genesis, when we go back to that time when God had created everything perfectly, it was the devil who came along with his witty speech, with his questioning of God's words, questioned how God had put to Eve how they were supposed to obey him, how they were supposed to not go anywhere near the forbidden fruit. The devil, he twisted the words, he twisted what what God had said to tempt humanity, to breed confusion and bring sin into the world. And sadly, when we go to Genesis chapter 3, we read in that passage how man fell. How man disobeyed God and how sin was brought into the world. And so today when we think of our speech, we think of just how dangerous it can be. Just how wicked it can be. We think of how sometimes we use our tongues which God created for his glorification. We use them to really dishonor him. And sinner friend, Tonight, as we think about our speech, and as we think about our language, everyone who has a tongue has dishonored God. Everyone who has a mind to think has dishonored God. Everyone that has ever born them has dishonoured God, has been far away from God, has even hated the one who created them, the one who loved and who gave his life for our sins and for our salvation. Each one of us has dishonoured and disappointed our Creator. You know, as I even think over my own life, and we all have a testimony, it's a great thing to have a testimony. But people often say how it would be lovely to have a boring testimony. How it would be lovely to have a testimony where we didn't let the Lord down. Where we didn't disappoint Him. Where we didn't turn our backs on Him at times. But sadly, all of humanity... All of us, myself included, we look back on a life which is full of wicked words and wicked deeds. A life which is very far from the Lord. And as we look even at what God has commanded in scriptures to to love others, 
to love God, we must admit that that has not been the purpose of our lives. We must admit that our sinful nature has taken us very far from what God created us to be. And sinner tonight, the first step to come into the Saviour is realising the wickedness of your own life, the wickedness of your own tongue, the wickedness of mankind. We are all guilty of disappointing the Lord in this manner. We're all guilty of harsh words. We're all guilty of words which do not glorify God and words which attack and hurt those around us. And so we are guilty of sin. And being guilty of sin, we cannot enter into the Holy of Holies. We cannot expect the tongues which hate and attack the God who created them to then enter heaven and praise him. That will not happen. God will not allow those defiled by sin to enter into his presence. Instead, they will be cast into everlasting torment far from God. Far from God's intended creation. We should let that be a warning to each of us. We should also let it be a great joy that even today, to the Christian, We've been saved from such wickedness. We should never forget where we've been brought from. Out of the mire. Out of the wickedness of humanity. But the second thought, and I'm sure some of you will have seen this coming when I thought of tongues, was Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And it is the story of the Tower of Babel. I'm sure we will be familiar with it. In Genesis chapter 11, mankind, this was after the flood, after humanity had um, been punished by God for their wickedness. They immediately, after the flood, uh, a few generations in, descended back into that wickedness. They didn't really learn their lesson. And at the Tower of Babel, the people of Babel got together And they said to themselves, in in verse 3, they said one to another, Go, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now what is being described here is most likely um, what is called a ziggurat. And this was a massive structure which had many different levels. It would have had um, stories, like I suppose, in a skyscraper. And each different level would have been used for different purposes. People would have lived in some of it. People would have sold their wares in another part of it. And it would have been uh, a large structure that then the intention here we can see was that it would be visible for miles around. But one of the defining features of a ziggurat and of these structures was that the top of that structure was dedicated to a god. It was a shrine. It was the closest point 
to heaven. And we see in this scripture, in these verses here, that that was the intention of mankind. The intention was to get this structure to reach right up onto heaven, but not to glorify God, not to set him in high, to make themselves a name. See, up to this point in the scriptures, we read of how mankind departed from God. We read of how mankind was extremely wicked and went against God. But here I believe we see one of the first instances of idolatry. Mankind simply wasn't departing from God, but he was trying to replace God. Replace God with himself. Replace God so that he would not feel guilty for disobeying God. Trying to push the idea and the image of God out of their lives. And this was the intention of the people of Babel. And again, that's a stark reminder to us on how so many today are trying to create many different ideas, many different other gods, to push the one true God out of the picture. And really, they're trying to set themselves on high. They're trying to make themselves a name. They want to be remembered for years to come. They want to be remembered and be famous and be in the history books. They want their name to be in the shining lights. And they want humanity to be set on high. And yet, as we we mentioned this morning, the express purpose for all of humanity and all of creation is to glorify only God. And tonight, maybe there's something which you're using to push the thought of God out of your mind. Maybe there's something tonight which you use as an excuse for not needing God. Maybe there's something which you say fulfills all that you need in order to be satisfied. But let me tell you, none of these things will last. They said, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. What has happened to every single ancient structure that has ever been built? It's fallen to disuse. It's no longer used. It cannot last forever. Sin, with all its pleasures, with all its folly, it won't last forever. It will one day grow boring, maybe. It will one day let us down and disappoint us. It will one day be insufficient. And even if we feel satisfied fully in this life, in the next, we will be lost forever. And so the intention here to create themselves a name was doomed to feel from the beginning. But God did not want to see mankind make a ruin of themselves entirely. And so he came down and he intervened. And it tells us in uh, chapter 6, sorry, verse 6 and 7. The Lord said, Behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to... 
Let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. The sin of these people, the intention of these people, only resulted in confusion. It only resulted in confusion. I think it's, it's very interesting, a little point here, that the Lord used uh, the confusion of the people to then execute his will. What was the Lord's will for mankind? It was to uh, go forth into all the world and multiply. And that's what it says that uh, the Lord did then in verse 8. The Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. The Lord will see his will. He will see his plan of salvation come to pass no matter what the world tries to do to step in. No matter what the world tries to do to, to break down the idea of God, to get in the way and replace God from their lives, the Lord will still see his name glorified. He will still see his name lifted above all other names. But these people, their sin led them only to confusion. And really that's where sin only ever leads us. It never leads us into a place of satisfaction. It never leads us into a place where we are at peace. Where we have a sure and steadfast foundation, our rock. We, we think of the parable uh, uh, that the Lord Jesus says about the foolish man who built his house in the sand. And that is what it's like to try and build your life on the world. To try and build your life in things that can only last for a short period of time. They'll crumble. They'll fall away. The only thing that lasts forever is God. And so that is the only place we should be building our lives in. It is the only place that we should be seeking assurance and rest and a sure foundation in is Christ and him crucified. And the scriptures warns repeatedly of this. If you look at uh, Galatians chapter 6 and the verses 7 to 8. It's warned that be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. That he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If we sow a life full of sin, all we receive in return is an eternity in punishment, an eternity in hell. Praise the Lord, though, the message of the gospel never stops there. It never stops at man's sin and man's need of Christ, but instead it offers it offers Christ crucified. It offers a solution. It offers the foundation. And if we turn to Acts chapter 2, continuing the theme of tongues, continuing the theme of languages as we see it in Scripture, for all of the Scripture we see a humanity, we see uh, a, a na the nations of the world separated because of their not understanding each other's languages. Separated because of their sin and they're trying to build themselves a name. But then we come to Acts chapter 2. We come to the day of Pentecost. What is the, one of the defining 
parts of the day of Pentecost. It says in verse, uh, we'll read from verse 4. It says, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? And what were they speaking of? Verse 11, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Up until the coming of the Messiah, the world was separated because of their sin. And yet when Christ came, the world was now united in him. These people could understand in their own language the wonderful works of God. And if you read down through that passage, Peter is preaching about Christ and him crucified. He's preaching about the answer to the sin that is in their lives. Just as we continue to preach today. We continue to preach Christ crucified and how even though we are so lost and we are so far from the Lord, he came down and he reached out to touch each one of us. And the message of the gospel, the message of salvation is one which can reach any language and any tongue in the world. It's a wonderful thing to know that you can go anywhere in the world and the family of God is the same. Believe the same thing. They believe in Christ crucified. And we have a common unity. No matter what language we speak. In Christ. I remember hearing a little story about um, a missionary who went out to, to a, foreign, a foreign land to deliver some Bibles. And as he was sitting opposite the pastor there, neither of them could speak a word of what each other was saying. But then, uh, a few minutes of uh, probably hand gestures and awkward silence in, the pastor got out his Bible and he started to point to different scripture references. He started to point to different places in the Bible to communicate to the missionary. And they were able to spend time in sweet fellowship through the word of God. No matter where we go in the world, the message of the gospel, the church of God, is the same message. It's a message of redemption to any who will come. It's a message of forgiveness for any that will ask. And that, sinner friend, is something that the world cannot replace. The world in its confusion knows not where to turn or what to look at. But Christ, he has the answer. He has the only solution for sin. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, in the verse 23. The Lord Jesus says there, talking about the, those that had been given him. We'll read verse 22. And the glory which thou givest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and thou and me, 
that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. We are united in Christ. We're united in the love of God. And the thing that keeps us all together and keeps us in unity is the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that he has shown for us. What is the language of God? What is the tongues with which we speak? It's the language of love. It's the language of a burden for a soul which is lost. It's the language of rejoicing over a soul that is one. It's a language which every person, no matter what they speak, can understand. The love of God. And even if we turn back to Philippians chapter 2. And I, 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 I love this verse. Um, verse 11. For it reminds me of what is to come. It reminds me how, no matter the differences between each one of us, we're all going to eventually be singing praises to the Lord together. Sometimes, actually, I even see it as a little rebuke onto myself. For sometimes we get really hung up and we get annoyed by something that happens in the church. Sometimes we get really hung up and annoyed maybe about the way someone said something or, or someone didn't really... Uh, Maybe forgot about you or maybe uh, there's just some way that someone in the church has got onto your skin. And often I'll, I'll just think in this verse, I'll just remind myself that one day, no matter our differences, no matter the fact that we maybe sometimes struggle to get on, and we are human and that's our human nature, but regardless, one day, each of us will stand before God singing the same message, redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. And that sin of friend can be your promise tonight. That sin of friend, as you listen about the language of love, about the God who sent his son down, his only begotten son, into this world to die for our sins, into this world to give of his life by choice. And shed his precious blood. That is the message we proclaim. And that is the language which each one of us can understand. And praise the Lord one day. One day. Maybe you could be standing singing redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. And maybe you could know the joy and the wonderful promise of sins forgiven and of a Christ who will love and take care of you.